Welcome back to Tequila She Wrote, a podcast about cocktails and true crime. I'm Sloan, your bartender for today. And I'm Trish, your crime tender. And today we're going to bring you the story of Jeanette De Palma. She is a woman that went missing before she or, well, her body was found. And her murder is still unsolved to this day. So keep your eyes and ears open and let's go to the case. back to another round of bartending with Sloan. Today we are going to continue our transition from summer to fall cocktails. This one doesn't really have a name, but it was so simple and so delicious that I needed to share it with y'all. You only need two things, fireball and cream soda. That's it. And once again, this is one of those drinks that you can measure with your heart and not a glass, (laughs) not a jigger. But if you do want to use a measuring tool, I would say maybe 1.25 ounces of Fireball to about 2 to 3 ounces of cream soda. It really just depends on how sweet you want it. Because that cream soda, it's sweet. Very sweet. Takes over real quick. But also Fireball is very potent. (laughs) Yes. It has a very signature flavor as well. So putting the two together makes a very interesting like... I was telling Trish that it's almost like a cinnamon roll in a cup, but not really. But it's just one of those, it's it's a very nice transitional between summer and fall because it's still light and I don't know. I, I really enjoyed this drink and I hope you do too. So check it out on our socials and we'll kick you off to the episode. Jeanette De Palma. I think that's how you say it. I couldn't find anywhere that gave me a true pronunciation but that's how I'm gonna say it so if it's wrong I do apologize but Jeanette De Palma was born on August 3rd 1956 and lived an upper middle class life in the New Jersey suburb of Springfield Township Jeanette and her siblings were raised a devout Christian household They lived in a beautiful house on Clearview Road, where the Manhattan skyline was visible on a clear day, but far enough from the hustle and bustle of the Big Apple to make the crime rate nearly non-existent. On the afternoon of Monday, August 7th, 1972, 16-year-old Jeanette De Palma left her home on Clearview Road. She told her mother she was going to take a train to a friend's house. She never arrived at her friend's and didn't return home that evening. Her parents filed a missing persons report with the Springfield Police Department the following day. Four days before she disappeared, Jeanette De Palma celebrated her 16th birthday. Her birthday was nothing of note, though, because of being a devout Christian The household didn't really allow parties to happen. 
which I always think is like a sad thing, but also if you didn't grow up with it, like you don't know better. Yeah. Like I definitely went to school with someone who they didn't celebrate like holidays, they didn't do birthdays, so anytime like we did we like had little birthday things at the like in our classrooms. She like excused herself. And she would like either go sit in the library or if it like if we did it at the end of like the school day, like before like the buses were coming to pick us up, like we would usually like they would let the parents know and someone would usually come and just pick her up early. That's crazy. I celebrate a birth week. No, right? It's also, the day of recording is August 14th, and Nate told me that I could decorate for Halloween two weeks ago, and the only reason I have not is because my foot fucking hurts. <laughs> Otherwise, it would already be spooky season all up in this bitch. Yeah, I just haven't felt like dragging everything out of storage yet. I honestly, I'm working my way slowly but surely. We're about to have a spooky season house all year round. <laughs> Nate does not know it yet, and he will not know it from this podcast. <laughs> right? But I will have a spooky house soon. Uh, but yes, game back to our story. So Holidays. Yeah, she did not... They did not do parties or anything like that. So, six weeks later, on September 19th, Jeanette's remains were found atop a cliff inside... Springfield's, I'm not even sure how you say this, but it was like a quarry. Mm -hmm. um, after a local dog brought her decomposing right forearm and oh. hand back to its owner at the, at some, it was a uh, apartment complex on nearby Wilson Road. That would be Kodak. <laughs> that would be Kodak. I literally was like, oh, this this would literally be Kodak. That would be Kodak running up to me. And I, oh, so mm -hmm. proud of himself. So proud. <laughs> like, look, mom. So proud. And I would <laughs> not be able to handle it. But I was just like, oh, one. That poor dog, and two, that poor owner. I'm like having a, a, a small anxiety attack <laughs> thinking about this scenario. Uh, that dog probably thought it was the goodest boy or girl in the world. Oh, and it still is the goodest boy or girl. And that owner's going, oh no. <laughs> so yeah. The remains were fully clothed, but said to be so decomposed that dental records had to be used to identify the body of Jeanette. Several witnesses say her skeletal remains were surrounded by a series of strange and possible occult objects. Mm -hmm. There are varying descriptions, but the one most agreed on says that the remains were found inside a coffin-shaped perimeter of fallen branches and logs. And inside this perimeter were several small makeshift wooden crosses. Some Springfield residents say her remains were found lying on a pentagram surrounded by mutilated animal remains, 
although law enforcement says these accounts aren't true. Further controversy was aroused when it was discovered Jeanette's remains were found on a cliff known to locals as the Devil's Teeth. The Springfield police began their investigation when the autopsy couldn't reveal a cause of death. Her remains and clothing showed no evidence of bone fragments, bullet wounds, or knife strikes. There was also no signs of drugs. The coroner did believe strangulation to be the cause of death, but why that was thought is undisclosed. But because this was the thought to be, like, her possible, like, cause of death, the Union County Prosecutor's Office treated the case like an unsolved homicide. Another curious thing the coroner noted was that an unusual like, unusually high amount of lead was discovered in her remains. And there's no explanation for this whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Early in the investigation, Springfield police received a tip of a homeless man living in the woods near the quarry at the time. This mystery man was known to locals as Red. It's alleged he fled his campsite in the woods shortly after Jeanette went missing. Obviously, this lead looked promising to police, but it was discovered Red had nothing to do with her death. Investigators continued to look into Jeanette's disappearance, but a lack of tips from the public and inconsistent stories from family and friends caused this case to go cold. Now, about two weeks after the discovery of Jeanette's remains, several newspapers, including the Newark Star-Ledger and the New York Daily News, began reporting that she was a victim of an occult sacrifice, which could possibly be helpful, but it's also very damaging because then it makes people start looking in just one direction rather than all the possibilities. They believe the sacrifice was done by Satanists or a local coven of witches who operated inside nearby um, Watchen Reservation. I think that's how it's said. So this was spurred on by the reports of the possible strange objects surrounding her body and her Churches, um, James Tate. So, you have all these, like, rumors and that, and I'm sure this did not help police at all, because then that just makes people start reporting other stuff that has nothing to do with this case. So these rumors set off a panic in the community that was still recovering from the shock of the John List murders only 10 months earlier. And believe me, I hadn't heard of John List, so I definitely looked into that case just to see if, like, anything could pop, like, kind of tie it in. And it sounds extremely interesting, so um, might be looking into that one <laughs> to do as a future case. 
In the 1990s and early 2000s, Weird New Jersey magazine began to report on the cold case due to receiving several anonymous letters about Jeanette's death. Editor and co-founder Mark Morgan began investigating the case and wrote about many suspicious details. The editors were originally met with resistance from local police. Some of those details include allegations that Springfield police had lost or destroyed the case file. The police department claims the file was lost due to flooding caused by Hurricane Floyd in 1999. Others allege another copy is still on file, though. Mark Morgan went on to team up with Weird New Jersey correspondent Jesse P. Pollock to write a book called Death on the Devil's Teeth, The Strange Murder That Shocked Suburban New Jersey. Throughout the course of the research, Pollock and um, Mark discovered several instances of a possible cover-up, connections to other unsolved murders, and previously unknown suspects. Rumors and innuendos offered by Springfield police regarding Jeanette suggested she died from drug overdose. But if you remember, there were no, like, drug paraphernalia found on, near, around, like, in her, like, anything like that. So, according to friends and family, besides the occasional use of marijuana, she was not known to use any either. Medical examiner Bernard Etherenberg, I think is how it's said went on record stating he suspected strangulation as he could not rule it out during the autopsy. Edward Salzano, I think? Yeah. Edward Salzano was given a box of documents that contained the FBI crime lab report and medical examiner's report by John Bancy, who is Jeanette De Palma's nephew before he died. And uh, Salzano actually sued the Union County Prosecutor's Office to test Jeanette's clothing for DNA. The FBI report states stains were too decomposed for conclusive blood and semen examinations in 1972. There is hope that with today's DNA testing, that they could possibly create a DNA profile from the clothing, though. After new, nearly two years of delay to, like, due to COVID-19 and personal changes, the Union County Police Office finally released a bulk of Jeanette De Palma's case file to Pollock in February of 2021, and this included crime scene photos that had previously described by some of New Jersey police officials as missing. So it's just, you know, so ironic that they would just happen to pop up suddenly. The photos that from the crime scene do have 
Jeanette's body, like, partially redacted to show compassion for her remains. But the weird New Jersey is confident that there is no case of occult activity involved in her death. The alleged crosses made from sticks and twigs and the halo of stones that were supposedly found placed around Jeanette's body are completely absent from the crime scene photos. Um, Also absent are any animal sacrifices that were long rumored. So you can either argue that they just weren't there or that police destroyed that to like cover that part up. But in the crime scene photos, there's no sign of any of this. The closest object resembling a cross found near the remains are two rotten tree branches that had obviously fallen in that spot a long time before Jeanette had come to rest there. No arrows carved into trees or any altar of any sort are seen in the photographs either. The overgrowth itself is another revelation as well. For years, Weird New Jersey had been told time and time again by retired Springfield PD investigators that the spot where Jeanette's body was found was a party spot and that she likely overdosed there while partying for s- with several other teenagers, all of whom presumably fled out of fear of prosecution instead of rendering her medical aid. So if there's overgrowth, obviously there's nobody there to trample it down. The spot where Jeanette's body was discovered is more, is much more overgrown than, than ever previously described to us with countless large plants and bushes surrounding the remains. No evidence of a party or any other social gathering is noted in the accompanying evidence reports or seen in the multitude of photographs released in February of 2021. What is noted are the contents of Jeanette's purse, which was reported like was never like reported as covered mm-hmm. like recovered i'm like i remember when i found this little bit i was like wait she had her purse and you had to use dental to id her? her yeah that's a little odd that's a lot odd approximately eight feet south of Jeanette's remains were the contents of her purse apparently dumped out into a small pile. Listed in the evidence reports and shown in corresponding photos are a pack of marcel wipes? Or marcel tissues? Sorry. A Vicks inhaler, a small compact, lipstick, a comb, a key on a ring, a clear vial with an unknown substance resembling a corsidin c-o-r-i-c-i-d-i-n corsidin I think? I don't know. Jeanette's mother Florence De Palma told the press that her daughter had a mild cold on the day she vanished so I'm guessing it was some sort of like over-the-counter thing or something her mother had given her. Mm -hmm. 
and the last thing that's noted in this small pile is a small eyeshadow box. Um, but what is missing is the purse itself along with money and her wallet. If Jeanette was murdered, it is now apparent that her killer took her purse and her cross necklace as like possible souvenirs. In 2022, the New York Daily News mentioned an organization, Justice for Jeanette De Palma, is dedicated to keeping her memory alive. The organizers continue to look for clues even as the case approaches the half-century mark. Jeanette's death is also mentioned in the book A Long Walk Home, where it is urged the case be changed from suspicious death to homicide. The book also mentions similarities between Jeanette De Palma, Joan Kramer, and Carol Ann Ferrinio. Like, their killings. So, I did not get to look into those. So, that's another one might have to check out. Um, another theory holds that Jeanette was the victim of a crime of opportunity and that she may have been killed by the same man who killed Marianne, Mary Ann Pryor and Lorraine Kelly, both of whom were found in heavily wooded areas like Jeanette. In 2022, law enforcement said there is still local interest to find out what happened to Jeanette. For years, rumors swirled around Springfield about the other possible suspects, a transient who worked nearby, a watchman, and a guy who drove a red Ford, among others. But police couldn't find anything to connect these people to the crime. Police believe that maybe a fresh set of eyes on the case could possibly solve it. Springfield's Deputy Mayor Chris Weber doesn't believe it was a perfect crime. He believes that somewhere, something, there's some connection out there that will break this case wide open. And what, what I find truly like baffling about this case is that more and more information slowly keeps coming to light but it just feeds to even more questions like why did police and reports for years associate occult activity with her death when if you look at crime scene photos there's nothing that really suggests this and why did they lie about you know the file and evidence being lost when clearly we have some so it's like do you suspect someone on your police force was involved? Or was there somebody that somebody knew that yeah. they were trying? It's just, it's just weird. And I wish I could have found even more information. But like I said, it's just stuff that like slowly keeps coming out. And... It's just very interesting, and like I said, there's, like, so many different things that got brought up as possible, like, tie-ins that, like, I don't, I've never heard of, so I'm, like, I'm definitely 
probably be looking into some of those things and seeing if I can uh, maybe draw some conclusions. But that is my case. I don't know why I've been on like a missing or like missing turn like murder mm -hmm. kick, but it's just it's been what I've been finding and researching and sorry if you don't like these uh unsolved cases, but unfortunately that's the world we live in. Not everything's gonna be solved. Well and sometimes it's just worth it to get the word out there because you never know who knows something out there. Yes. And that can help. But that is my case and hope you enjoyed it. If you know anything or think you might have some leads, definitely reach out to the proper authorities. And with that being said, we'll kick you off to our last call. Welcome back to another Last Call with Sloan. Today, I have one, maybe two stories. We're going to see how quickly I can like run through these and see if I can cover both. One, Troopers find drunk woman driving golf cart on Florida highway. <laughs> Us. Uh, <laughs> Our future. I, I don't remember this. I don't remember. I, I don't remember time traveling either. A woman with an open bottle of Jack Daniels whiskey in a bag was arrested for driving a golf cart on Florida's busiest interstate while drunk, according to an arrest report. The 58-year-old woman was arrested Saturday night on the shoulder of I-95. She is now facing misdemeanor charges of disorderly intoxication in a public place and resisting arrest and resisting an officer's uh, and resisting an officer without violence. According to a Florida Highway Patrol report, a semi-truck driver spotted the woman driving in the golf cart in the center lane of I-95 in Brevard County, which is the heart of Florida's Space Coast. The truck driver advised he observed the driver of the golf cart passing out while driving. Oh my god. On the interstate. Oh my god. In a golf cart. The truck driver used her semi to steer the golf cart to the shoulder of the interstate. And once on the shoulder, the truck driver grabbed the keys to the golf cart as the woman tried to drive away. <laughs> Once troopers arrived at the scene, the woman started arguing with them and insisted she needed her bag. Inside the bag, troopers found an open bottle of Jack Daniels Tennessee Fire Whiskey. No, oh, not the, not the off-brand Fireball. The off-brand Fireball. Although I've heard from a few people that the Jack Daniels Fire might be better is not as potent of a of a yeah. cinnamon taste. Might be more up your alley. Maybe. I love Fireball. I-95, which stretches up and down the East Coast, is Florida's busiest interstate highway, according to the Federal Highway Administration. So, that is part one of my little... <laughs> oh, Florida woman. Yes. Two, El Jefe, the Jaguar, famed in U.S., photographed in Mexico. They call him El Jefe. He is at least 12 years old, and his crossing of the heavily guarded U.S.-Mexico border has sparked celebrations on both sides. El Jefe, or the boss, is the, one of the oldest jaguars on record along the frontier, one of the few known to have crossed a border partly lined by a wall and other infrastructure to stop drug traffickers and migrants, and the one believed to have traveled the farthest, says ecologist of the Borderlands Linkages Initiative. 
That assessment is based on photographs taken over the years. Jaguars can be identified by their spots, which serve as a kind of unique fingerprint. The rare northern jaguar's ability to cross the border suggests that despite increased impediments, there are still open corridors, and if they are kept open, it is feasible to conserve the jaguar population in the long term. But some fear the jaguar's future, although it was the government of President Donald Trump that reinforced and expanded the border wall with Mexico, the Biden administration has announced plans for closing four gaps between the U.S. state of Arizona and the Mexican state of Sonora, the two states the jaguars uh, traverse. Conservationists do not know how many jaguars there are in the Sierra Madre Occidental but if the 176 that have been identified over the two decades by the Northern Jaguar Project, only two others besides El Jefe are known to have crossed the border. In one case, conservationists are not sure if the jaguar crossed the border alive or dead since only its skin was found. The first photograph of El Jefe was taken by a hunter southeast of Tucson, Arizona in 2011. The jaguar became famous in Arizona and the local school named him El Jefe. Motion sensor cameras installed in transit areas photographed the jaguar in Arizona again in 2012 and in 2015. Conservationists were stunned when they confirmed that a photograph taken by another member of the coalition last November in the center of Sonora was El Jefe. The discovery meant not only that jaguars could still cross the border, but that other jaguars had lost track of that other jaguars they had lost track of could also still be alive. I mean. So, I don't know. It keeps, it goes on and on about the project and saving the Jaguars, but I love a Jaguar named the boss. Right. Call me a white woman, but I was like, kitty, kitty. (laughs) (laughs) Us at the wall being like, can we meet El Jefe? Just just bring him right here. Right here. We're not going to cross the border, officers. (laughs) Me see him be like, hello, kitty. (laughs) You hear me? And that's the story of how Sloan and Trish got arrested <laughs> drunk and at the border. Can you at least give me a margarita? I'm sure they're a lot better in Mexico. Okay. <laughs> uh, we both know the margaritas in the bag, and that's part of the reason we're getting arrested. <laughs> but we hope you enjoyed this episode. You can catch us on all of our socials. We have Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram. They're all tequila she wrote across the board. We also have an email address if you would prefer to email us, tequilasherote at gmail.com. We also have our Patreons up, and easiest way to find that is by going to patreon.com backslash tequilasherote, or you can go to any of our socials and find our link tree, and you can get a direct link to there. For as little as $2 a month, you get ad-free episodes. And then if you sign up for some of our other tiers, you get some more bonus content. You got like a Rooney in Paradise thing over there, haunted episodes, all that fun stuff. We also do release a little bonus episode that you won't find on the normal podcasting sites. So be sure to give that a check out if that's something you'd be interested in. And... I guess with that being said, thanks for riding on the Hot Mess Express. Toot toot. Beep beep.